Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. fans, welcome to the Parastyle Podcast. On a Monday, we've got to talk about USC's disappointing road trip to South Bend to take on the Fighting Irish, a 31-16 loss to Notre Dame. We're going to talk all about that with Coach Harvey Hyde, talk about the USC head coaching search a little bit, and answer all of your questions. Uh, Coach Harvey Hyde, you can follow him on Twitter, at Coach Harvey Hyde, or go to his website for all of his content, Harvey Hyde. Dot com. And if you have questions for us here on the show, podcast at uscfootball.com is the email address, or you can call or text us at 424-254-9141. You can also leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Please leave us a five-star review and any kind of comments, suggestions, feedback that you have. Well, let's jump right into it with the coach, Charvy Hyde. Coach, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing great, Ryan. Uh, great football weekend, a nine-overtime period game. I tell you, Illinois beats Penn State. That's exciting. A lot of things happen in the world of football this weekend. It was, yeah. And I, you know, I went out the, made it out to Chicago, and then go down to South Bend. Not a lot of sleep uh, coming, you know, getting out of the press box late and heading back to Chicago, flying out early morning. But I feel like I'm refreshed. Got some some actual sleep last night after a television show. And ready to talk about this game. And before we jump into that, Coach, um, there was some interesting news. Well, kind of news. Uh, Carson Palmer, you know, USC Heisman Trophy winning candidate. He actually ran the team out of the tunnel, uh, celebrating his Hall of Fame uh, induction, and uh, you know, in the in the last game against um, Utah uh, in the Coliseum. And uh, he was on the Dan Patrick Show talking about the head coaching search. And it was a little surprising. He's not someone that's really been around the program a lot, I guess you could say, uh, lately, Coach. He's not someone you see around. Like, you see, like, a Matt Liner or something around. I haven't seen Carson Palmer a lot. But he said that he was somewhat involved in the coaching search, talking to several people, giving his opinions. And he dropped the name Mike Tomlin, uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers head coach. He's been there 15 years, won a Super Bowl, uh, one of the longest tenured head coaches in the NFL. And said if, you know, he wants out of there, he would be a wild card kind of candidate. Now, I don't usually put much credence into what you know former players say. They're usually not that involved on the NFL side. There's usually agents and stuff involved with stuff like that. But this one I thought was somewhat interesting. Uh, I'm like personally I'm not putting a lot of stock into it, but I wanted to get your thoughts on uh, what Carson Palmer said about Mike Tomlin. Well, I think he didn't want you guys to ask him any more questions. Or. <laughs> Uh, that's what I think. I think Mike Tomlin's a tremendous coach. He's been great for the Steelers, uh, but I think he's a, a Steeler for life, uh, and I think that uh, he would never leave the Steelers. That would surprise me. Plus, you know, he's at a position now where he hadn't been around college football for a long period of time, and moving all the way from Pittsburgh to Los Angeles doesn't make sense to me at all. And, of course, the Steelers uh, could play be playing football for a long period of time, which would mean when would you hire him, when would he get started. It just doesn't make sense at all. So I would say that is a long, long shot. I shouldn't spend any more time on it. I, I would agree with you, Coach. Um, it's one of those things where you wouldn't be recruiting, I mean, wouldn't be able to bring him in until, you know, January or something. And it's just that that would be tough. Obviously, 
I mean, super successful head coach. He's about the same age as Clay Helton, so that's kind of interesting. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's a long, long shot too. So let's get um, you know into the game a little bit. Thirty-one sixteen. USC didn't score a touchdown until the the fourth quarter. I want to maybe get your thoughts on this, Coach. At first, when when we go into the press conference afterwards, and you know when a head coach says something after a loss, yeah, whatever. Sometimes it just doesn't mean much. This one sort of didn't sit well with me. That uh, Dante Williams said it, it was like, well, he didn't. It wasn't you know it was almost like we didn't lose the game. We just ran out of time. Uh, paraphrasing what he was saying there. Um, did you feel that way, Coach? It just didn't seem that way, especially with Notre Dame. You know, taking a knee. Uh, they could have scored again. They were already up 15 at the end of the game, and they just you know did the victory formation instead of tacking on more points. But I, I didn't get a feeling that this team just ran out of time. What, what were you thinking about that? No, I don't know what he was thinking about at that time either. Uh, he might have been at a different game, or he wasn't paying attention at the end of the game uh, as far as when he called a timeout and that Notre Dame called a timeout, or they could have scored again. Uh, I think that he's overwhelmed currently right now in a position of being in a game such as big as Notre Dame, a national recognized game. Even uh, Jackson Dart says, I was unbelievable. I've never been before a crowd this big. I think everybody was somewhat intimidated by that as far as the uh, Trojan players and, and not only all the coaches, but I think the pressure that was has been on Dante Williams during this period of time. First of all, let me uh, say that that's the worst post-game interview uh, area that I've ever seen a class program give a visiting team and his coaches and his players. Uh, let me just tell you that. That, to me, does, doesn't show any class at all. And that little looked like a closet of some type that they had Coach Williams in. So I don't think that's very classful. And again, you know, coming in off the field, and he's probably in a state of shock, to be honest with you as far as going through that type of experience and being asked these questions. And I think he's just uh, at a point now where he doesn't know what to say or do. Uh, he's never been in this type of pressure type of situation, and he's trying to be positive, yet, you know, it's tough to be positive. But he knows the season's still com uh, remaining in front of him, and he wants to do as good a job as he can do. And I think his hands are tied on how much he can do how much he can change as far as what he does now as an interim head coach. I mean, he, he doesn't really, it's hard for him to get involved in the offense and the defense. And really, between you and me and all the people that are listening, after every game, uh, it's the same song, it's the same movie, it's the same book with the same ending. Red zone, penalties, not knowing what you're doing on offense, not being able to go under center to at least stop the clock, Red zone. I mean, it's just the same, same movie. So, you know, uh, I don't know. It's it's something right now that it looks as though no one there currently knows how to fix it. Uh, yeah, I would agree with you, Coach. There's only so much you can do. Uh, you have an interim head coach for 10 games. And I looked at Washington State this past weekend, put up a real good fight against BYU. BYU got its fourth win against Pac-12 opponents, by the way, the most. Uh, no one has more than... Four wins against Pac-12 opponents. No one in the Pac-12 except BYU. Um, but I thought they would come out. It's sort of like you sprain your ankle in that basketball game, and your your shoe's still tied tight, and you got adrenaline, and you're still playing. You know, and right after the coach gets fired, like USC probably played its best game at least the second half against uh, Washington State. 
but at, you're you're still injured, you know, and it's going to take a while. Like that that adrenaline doesn't last forever, and it seems like that adrenaline certainly ran out. Like Washington State might fall off a cliff in the next few games, but they played hard in this last one, right, right after the firing of of their beloved coach Nick Rolovich. Um, for the players, they they really loved them for the most part. But is it going to? You're going to be able to maintain that, and I think that's hard for Dante Williams to do to be the interim and come in with this new philosophy and new accountability that works for a little while. Right. But it's hard to keep that going for three months when most likely most of these coaches are going to be gone. You're going to have a different philosophy when the new head coach comes in and everyone's sort of waiting for that. So it's, it's definitely a tough spot, but I agree with the coach. It seems like it's the same song movie book all over again, week after week after week. Right, and it's really not his fault because the people he has that are the coaches and coordinators, they're not going to change anything. And it's built into what they're trying to do offensively and defensively. So really, he's not changing that whatsoever. So I really think they put him in a very difficult situation, to be honest with you. I think Mike Bone put him in a very difficult situation as far as a great recruiting coach. He was a young man being put in a position in front of everybody but one of the top football programs in the country where he's not in a position to stop the bleeding or put a bandage on anything. What does he do? There's not much he can do. He's tried to improve the little areas that he can, but there's nothing he can do. There's nothing more he can say. It's uh, play it out, uh, end the book, write the final chapter, get it over with. Hey, Coach, we had a um, Rick from La Mirada kind of wrote this in, and I want to follow this, uh, follow up with you on this one. Um, is he says, is the head coaching search going to cost USC like Dante Williams' job, similar to what happened with with Ed Orgeron, and may, maybe not necessarily for like Ed Orgeron was popular, and you know Sark wasn't going to really keep him on. He would it would like kind of divide the locker room. I don't think this is more about a divide the locker room, but it's a great opportunity. Like you said, he put was put in a very difficult spot in this to be the interim head coach. It's also a great opportunity, right? It's very hard, but it's a great opportunity. But if the team continues to struggle, do you think it could cost him the next head coach wanting to keep him on? Even if it's not really his fault, it's just like, you know, you didn't make a bowl game. You had 10 games. Uh, I know you're a great recruiter, but we're just going to move on. Do you think this could cost him a spot on the, the next staff? I don't know. It depends who it is. And, uh, exactly what the philosophy will be in the terms of what he's hired with. Uh, I would think that uh, if you're a strong individual and you interview him and you you feel he's loyal and so on, I would say that uh, he would have an 80 or 90 percent chance to stay on the staff. But I wouldn't say there's no guarantees in college football. I want you to know that. And he's obviously a great recruiter, but look at the programs he's been able to recruit to. When you look at the University of Oregon, it's pretty easy to work, uh, you know, recruit with that type of program. And when you look at recruiting at the Southern Cal- University of Southern California, you know, if you're out there and among them and you've got great contacts and you know the right people, you can be a pretty good recruiter. You know, what I call as a great recruiter is somebody that can recruit at a school that nobody wants to go to. And all of a sudden they say, like Jerry Tarkanian was, or maybe like, I don't want to say other people I know that have done that, but... You know, he got criticized because he brought players to his university when they should be at UCLA or USC or or Notre Dame or so on. That's what I call a great recruiter. So I think he's a great recruiter because he certainly has uh, brought great players to great programs. 
And I think he possibly will be kept on the staff. I think that's part of the deal that Mike Bone made with him, because I think he's a, a friend of the players and so on. So I don't see any reason why you wouldn't. And if you have a strong head football coach, then uh, a strong head football coach is not intimidated by the interim coach that's there. Now, if he was to apply for the position and wanted the head coaching job and didn't get the head coaching job, then that would be a complete different type of situation because then I can't have him on the staff because, you know, he's going to be upset that uh, he is not the head football coach and I'm not going to get a 100% loyalty from him. Oh, that's an interesting point there, Coach. Um, this was, uh, for this game, going back to the, the Notre Dame game, Looking at what Notre Dame was able to do, I thought this was an interesting start. We'll start with the um, defensive side of the ball for USC. Notre Dame, uh, and, and my, my buddy Pete Sampson tweeted this out, they had in their first uh, six games, they had eight drives that were 10 plays or more, like in six games. So not, not even about, I think it was the first half or like first, you know, almost the first half is a little bit of the third they had three long drives, three 10-play-plus drives against USC alone. And there was four drives in the game that went 70 yards plus. This wasn't a, a Notre Dame offense that was used to doing stuff like that. And you, this USC defense gave up those long kind of drives. In the bye week, it looked like Notre Dame changed things up instead of making the – you know, they did a lot of short passes. And that's not always easy because you got you to keep going and without making mistakes. But they got the ball out quickly. Um, and they moved the ball down the field, uh, I mean, just in little, little chunks against USC. Uh, did you notice that? And, um, what did you think overall with USC's defensive performance? Cause it, it just seemed like they, they allowed Notre Dame to do stuff that they hadn't really done all year. Well, what you do as an offensive coordinator, you take advantage of what people give you. And, uh, basically, like I said, a great offense is a great defense. You've heard me talk about that the entire time. They didn't want to get into scoring rates with USC. They wanted to be able to ball control them, use their great tight end as a receiver, use a running back, Williams, who's a great running back, ball control, go down the field, give them different looks to try to confuse USC on the defensive side of the football, which they did in their alignments, give them different type of looks as far as different quarterbacks and different formations and the quarterback running the football and goal line and short yardage situations, which, again, USC has to make adjustments to, and it causes them a lot of question marks and their players can't play. And again, I'm still in the same uh, position that I've always said. It's very difficult when you can't have the number one player in the country as far as last year's uh, <laughs> foreman, this great uh, defensive end, not in the game more than two or three plays when uh, you have uh, Drake Jackson in there. And Drake Jackson, what does he do during the game? How many tackles did he make during the game? How many sacks did he make? He made a hurry, but not a... I don't know if they gave him a sack on it or not, but hey, if you're a first-round draft choice, you're, you're playing against the big guys here. you got to show. Remember, if I'm an NFL scout, I'm going to come in and I'm going to say, don't give me the Arizona game to watch. Give me the Notre Dame game to watch. I want to see how he did against Notre Dame. I want to see how he did against Oregon. I want to see how he did against the type of players he's going to be playing against on Sunday. And I don't see, and I'm not saying it's Drake Jackson's fault. I'm saying put him in a position to make those type of plays and be that type of player. I don't know if you had a chance when you were back there to watch the Oregon game, what Oregon does with its great defensive end. They let him go. He causes havoc everywhere on the field, no matter where he is. The best thing to do is to run at him 
because what neutralizes quickness is running at him when he can't be as physical. He uses his quickness to get up the field. You run inside him or you run outside of him and hook him. But, but you know, you've you got to be able to put your players in a position to make plays. I've, I've said all along, as far as they don't throw the ball down the field enough. They're, on a, they're running the football. They're running the football when they should be passing the football. Their time management is ridiculous. I mean, I don't get me into all this again because all it does is bring my my blood pressure up. Okay, that's funny, Coach. Uh, yeah, we'll, we got some questions too. We'll talk a little bit more about this. And uh, I mean, there was a lot of talk. We got a couple questions dealing with the inability to spike the ball at the end of the first half. So we'll get to that in the question part. But well, you know, another thing you were talking about the defense. Excuse me for interrupting. Oh, you know, the same old thing. Uh, I think they play too many people in the secondary. All the time, they're rotating players. There's never a feel of understanding the feeling of who's to my right and who's to my left. And, and get, seeing the, the formation before so you get a feel of it. It's somebody new seeing it. And their tackling is still the same. They, 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 they try to block you down rather than wrap you up. I mean, how many yards after the, 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 the first shot or does Williams get and 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 how many times did he, you know that he was stopped at the line of scrimmage or got off the line of scrimmage and made big runs? I mean, those are the things you look at, and it all comes down to tackling and being able to play defense. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's switch to the offense side real quick, and we'll get into the questions. But like I said, we won't do. We'll talk about the uh, spike and all that stuff. But just in general, coach, I want to get your thoughts on this. Is a team that out. Rush, I mean, outgained, not outrush, but outgained Notre Dame. It's been a team that can accumulate yards, but not put up points. Like I said, no touchdowns until the fourth quarter. Um, have you seen stuff like this before where you can move the ball down the field, but like once you get, you know, across the 30, 25, or whatever, uh, getting into the end zone is a bit of a problem. There's mistakes. It's hard to keep, you know, keep this stuff going, but that's really been USC's. Achilles heel um, you get yards but not points so you can look at yards and like oh it's a su- successful offense but it's not because you're not getting the, the whole point is no pun intended putting points on the board and they're not doing that no you uh, I've seen that a lot of times you know as far as the, that that's the philosophy of the defense do you bend but you don't break and you know they're going to give the SC they're going to keep the ball in front of him London never caught well, he caught one deep pass I think and they never went to him in the end zone type of situation I mean their whole offense really was just Drake London uh, until they uh, recognized that they were giving them the run and and they said we'll give you the run we'll give you 10 yards we'll give you 15 yards but we're not going to give you the big play and they were able to do that and, uh, you know, it, and, and then they tried to go to the other side, and Tripp made a nice catch down the middle of the field, but you never saw them come back at all or run their big receivers against their defensive backs. And as the field closes down on them, obviously they close down on the running game then, and the zones close down where they can't throw the ball as clearly into the end zone in these different areas that they like to throw the football to. So the opportunity of scoring is, is uh, the percentages become less because they're not a hard-nosed type of football running game team, play-action type of team where they roll right or roll left and put a lot of, of, of stress on the corners and the backs and everybody the defensive secondary. and They don't have any run offense, so they don't have any play offense or play-action offense. So it's, it's just, you know, we say the same thing every week. There's nothing that changes. 
to cause a problem. They do the same thing every week. There's nothing new you see. There's nothing new you have to defend. You go come in with a philosophy. You're going to bend, but you're not going to break. And that's exactly what they do with them. But they don't want to get in a scoring race with them. They want to hold the ball, run the clock down, do what they need to do, get their points, get a turnover. Somebody's going to make a mistake on the offensive side. We're going to sack them. It's going to be first. It's going to be second and 15. We can give up eight yards, and it's third and four. What are you going to do? And, you know, all of this type of thing. And this is what, and eventually they beat you by your mistakes you make. And uh, it just, it's the philosophy, what the defensive philosophy is to go against USC. And that's what it is because you always know where the poor quarterback is. And don't tell me, I don't want anybody to tell me that Keaton Slovis is, a, is, a, is not a tough kid, okay? And he can't run. So I never want to hear this again from anybody. If yep. you watched him run down that guy, yeah. 70 yards, he ran that guy down and made a tackle. If he's willing to do that, he's a winner. He can run the ball on a bootleg or a keep, and he can do something else. I'm going to tell you that right now. That's so a good all point. this other stuff, it makes me sick. Yeah, yeah that was a great play. Uh, I got to talk to Dante Williams about that Sunday night on the press conference, and that's, say, four points for USC. You know, it was a 79-yard uh, interception return. He was getting, you know, crushed in the pocket. And the ball pops up in the air. He didn't really get to throw it. He was trying to throw it. And it popped up in the air, intercepted, and uh, you know, returned 79 yards by Notre Dame linebacker, Bo Bauer. And, you know, you could have seen Keaton Silva just lying on the ground, not moving. And not only did he did not do that, he ran a play all the way down. And it could have been an 83-yard return for a touchdown. It was a 79-yard return to the four. And the USC defense held. And you held him a field goal. So, I mean, his effort there... I'm not going to blame him for the interception. His effort there saved four points. And, man, he's getting crushed on social media. I feel bad, Coach. Like, I don't think he's playing great, but he's not. Like, sometimes you just want an easy fix, and they're like, oh, he sucks. That's why. It's like, I don't think that's the case. No, I like the kid. I think he's in a very difficult situation. He gets hit. People people have not – they don't know the size and strength of these players that hit these quarterbacks. I'll tell you, he gets hit all the time. It's a, it's amazing that he's still alive. It really is. If I was him, I'd get an insurance policy on my life, or if I was his parents. And then again, you know, the, 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 just the, the questioning of why didn't Jackson Dart play and all this that. Why why would you even dress Jackson Dart if he's not going to play? I mean, I've never dressed a guy that doesn't have the ability and the clearance to help the football team. I'm going to dress somebody who can help the football team and who deserves to be dressed because he's been – uh, been paying a price in practice and so on. I mean, there's so many little things that I can't figure out as far as what's going on. Yeah, I agree with you, Coach. All right, well, let's take a. We got a bunch of questions. Let's take a quick break and we'll address some of those things. Back in a minute. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
All right, Coach, we are back here on the Peristyle Podcast. This is a really good voicemail I wanted to play for you, and it, it, it does start to address uh, that stuff we talked about at the end of the first half where USC just looked discombobulated on offense. But let me play this for you and get your thoughts, Coach. Ryan, Coach Hyde, how's it going? Franco from the East Coast. So 30 years from now, when my grandkids and I are playing in the backyard, and they say, Grandpa, what was the USC 2021 football season like? I'm going to say, you know what, kids, just watch this. I'm going to show them the end of the half against Notre Dame, because that's pretty much a microcosm the whole season. you got four minutes left, a timeout, you get the ball to the 25-yard line, but yet no field goal attempt or end zone shot. And then they're lined up in shotgun with three seconds left to spike the ball. Tarico's going, what's going on? These guys are lined up in shotgun. You have to listen to Tarico. Coach Hyde, you've been on his podcast every week for several years going, these guys need to learn how to line up under the center. They don't run any plays under the center. And here they are lined up in shotgun. And then the coach comes out at halftime, not to half, and he goes, uh, I'm concerned because our team looked confused. Really? You're concerned the team looked confused? Oh, I mean, who isn't concerned at this point? This isn't the spring game with uh, you know, a high school early enrollee quarterback. At the wheel. This is the seventh game of the season, three-year starter, primetime national television against Notre Dame. If you're not ready now, when are you going to be ready? Uh, come on. Well, next week you got winless Arizona against clueless USA. Another gem, I'm sure. Take care, guys. All right, now I think basically he's talking about the end of the game and uh, not being being able to understand what's going on and going to center and all this and that. You know, <clears throat> let me start by saying I don't know how many people listen to your post game interviews and so on, and I listen to them occasionally, and I I like listening to them when you have individual coaches on and you listen to Graham Harrell on his interview trying to answer some of these questions and, and really I, I'm trying to figure out what he's saying. I can't really figure out what he's saying and he's not even looking at the camera. I mean, it looks like he's looking away from someone when people are asking the question, it's all, you know what I mean? You know, you know what I mean? And uh, yeah, we just got to work harder and we got to do this. We just, you know, it seems like sometimes I wonder, does he see the same game we see or do they see the same things or are they concerned about the same things we're concerned about? It seems like every time they're in trouble with something, they run the football when they should be throwing the football, and they throw the football when they should be running the football. There doesn't seem to be any rhythm or rhyme or reason why you're doing anything. And, you know, I've said this, and you heard this, and you might even ask the question. I don't know if you asked the question or Shotgun asked the question. Way back in fall camp, don't you ever go under center? And the answer was straight there. You probably got it on film somewhere. It said, no, we don't do that here. Well, there's always a time for everything, even if you need a quarterback sneak or you got to kill the clock. How many seconds does it take for the center to get down, look under his name, look to see if everybody said, and then snap the ball? I mean, it's all of those type of things where the criticism comes. When you're at USC, this isn't a, not a high school. High schools do that. I'm talking about little kids do this and understand that people that aren't even making 2 million a year or 1 million a year or 500,000 a year or call professional coaches know this. So you sort of wonder what's going on. I mean, how can you not learn by what's happened to you to see that these things are necessary as far as within your offensive structure and what you're trying to do as far as with the red zone or a two minute drill or whatever it is. I agree with you a hundred percent. I mean, I can't figure it out, and I'm trying to figure it out, but I think it's just uh, like I don't want to say 
this this is a terrible term to use, but sometimes people that don't know they're the most dangerous people. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think I I know what you're saying there, Coach, and that's true. Um, another voicemail kind of mentioned the same thing, the end of the first half debacle where USC didn't even get off a field goal attempt. Let me play this one for you. Harvey, there's a question. Coach, I'm wondering if you could break down sort of the transition and what has happened that's been the result of uh, the offensive coordinator, Graham Harrell, at one point being a candidate for NFL coaching jobs and now being in a position where they can't even figure out how to clock the ball going into halftime. They're running a clock spike formation out of shotgun, which takes an extra second and a half just to spike the ball, which is just a one one example of sort of the ineptitude that we've seen all season. So is this is an instance of defenses adjusting that has made USC look so bad? Is it the, this talent that has made USC look so bad? And, and how are those factors apart of the downfall of an offensive coordinator that was once a candidate for for NFL jobs to the position that he's in now, likely in his last couple games as the offensive coordinator of USC. Thanks, Coach Hyde. Well, let me tell you, a lot of times uh, pre-hype and, you know, if you if you coach too long, they find out the real truth. And he hadn't really coached that much, and that was so was his first year, and everybody thought it was – you know, all of a sudden a three-star plane, it was all developed by one individual and so on. And all of a sudden all this caught up. And uh, and I just made this, and I made this quote. And I said it on this show as well as other shows. I said, next year there won't be the same success. And Ryan, I don't, I don't know if you'll remember when I said this. I said, because during the off season, coaches just don't sit around. They look at what Graham Harrell's doing as they figure out, okay, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, he doesn't do this, and if he does this, we're going to do that. And the success is not going to come like it's done. But they don't. They know it's not in his package. He doesn't have it in his package, so they don't have to practice it. They practice the things that he has in his package, and his package is the same package that he had when he was the first-year coach there. Keaton was the first-year player there. Keaton's best years is freshman year then it got a little bit worse and now it's a little bit questionable and you know it's because the coaches understand what he's trying to do and he's not making the adjustments to it it's always you know what i mean you know what i mean we got to get a little bit better and we got to work a little bit harder and we're not not giving the best effort we should be doing and the effort's got to be there and we dropped a couple of balls oh okay 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 but what are you trying to do it's not necessarily all the players, you know. It's easy to blame, you know, we dropped the ball, we have too many penalties, uh, we do this, we do that. It's not always the players or the penalties. I've had teams that had as many penalties as USC did that we dominated football games. Look what Oregon State did. They came down and dominated the football game with a lot of penalties. But they came right back and they knew what they were doing and they ran the football and they won football games. But they know what they're trying to accomplish and what they're trying to do. But one little setback here and there really puts USC in a big problem, big situation, because they can't adjust to what exactly is going on. And, uh, you know, like I said, nothing against Graham Hill. I've never talked to him. I don't know him. But it's just what I see on the field. I don't see any change or any type of adjustments or any type of – I mean, there's no rhyme or reason why 
uh, one receiver is in or the other receiver is in and there's no type of counteraction. You don't see any type of reverse. You don't see any type of power runoff tackle where your guard and tackles lead through the hole and the quarterback and bootleg. You don't see any of that. You don't see any power type of physical type of football whatsoever or any type of toss or or anything that you you know you, you see most teams run. You even see them in the NFL doing some of that stuff as far as the toss and and uh, and, and 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 the quick toss and the, and the re- reverse pivot toss and all these different things. You don't see a fullback dive down there. You don't you don't see a fullback in this offense. You don't see anything. Your tight ends. How many? What did your tight ends do in this football team? I mean, I really don't know what what what, what I, I would sign at USC to be a tight end. Because basically they have no place for them on the football field unless you're a large receiver. And if you're a large receiver, then you're look at the two, I think, two of the three of the best receivers. I think, and nothing against Washington or Brian, I think they're great receivers. But I tell you what, I, my receivers on that team, but what they're doing would be London, Ford, and Tripp. All big guys, throw the ball up in the air, let them catch them like basketballs, put them in the seams. Uh, but, you know, this area of the field, they never attacked either. They ran two draws during the game, one draw, two draws. When it didn't make any difference, they made some yards on it. Well, why not run it again or have draw pass action? Or do you do the different things that are set into what your philosophy is? There's really not a philosophy. It's just do this, but I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do. I'll run the ball so I can't be criticized, and when the field closes down, well, we'll see what we got to do to get it done. I mean, lob it up to the. T- I mean, Drake Lennon didn't even catch a touchdown pass this week. I mean, I was surprised they didn't go to him down there like they always do in the fade routes and some of the things they do over the middle. But that didn't happen, and that that's the way it is. All right, coach, we got a voice. I mean, I'm sorry, an email from Arizona Jack. He said, This current USC team is only going through the motions and not playing with the fire, with fire in their belly. To fix this on-the-field problem, USC's athletic director needs to find a future coach who can motivate young men and his support staff. The new head coach needs to leave X's and O's to the coordinators, who, by the way, need position coaches that can recruit and develop young people. That's my plan, and I'm sticking to it, Arizona Jack. Well, Arizona Jack, you're right. I'll tell you, it's so important now, and I don't know what the process is or what's going on, but they got to name a head football coach here almost immediately. I mean, they got to go in and buy someone out and make the change and bring him now and buy him out of his contract that is in. Because really, if you're going to go after the guy, the university doesn't want him either because they need a new head football coach in there no matter where he's leaving to start their recruiting for December 2 and get his staff together. And you've got to bring a guy in now that can evaluate the talent by watching the games and start to put his staff together and so on, evaluate the coaching, what's going on, evaluate the recruiting, evaluating everything in the athlete department. And the longer they wait, the harder it's going to be. I mean, I don't know what they're waiting for. It's like a big secret. Go after the guy that you think's going to be it. I don't know who they think it's going to be. I don't, you know, whoever it's going to be, whatever I say, it's not going to make any difference anyway. But whoever it is, they got to bring a guy in and let him go to work. And if they got to go buy out a contract that cost them $10 million or whatever that million dollars is, you know, put up or shut up and go out and get it because you've got recruiting coming down here. You just lost a five-star tackle to Georgia. Georgia. I mean, you can't continually lose these guys. Yes, you keep the receivers, but you already got great receivers. That's not the difference of your football team winning or losing. 
you got to get a coach in here that brings a great staff in here that already knows who his staff's going to be, but he's been around long enough. He knows what's going to win. He's been USC. You can't bring a guy in here and teach him what USC is all about, the tradition of USC. you got to bring in somebody that knows Southern California, knows USC, knows what the tradition of USC is, knows the years of John McKay. Uh, Pete Carroll, John Robinson, knows what the fans like, knows what the tailgating is all about, knows already who tra- who Traveler is, knows the the fight song. you got you got to bring somebody in now that really knows the program. You've got too many people that don't know the program and what people want and what they expect. So you better go and start doing that right away or it's going to be too late because someone else is going to hire that individual while you sit and think about it. Yeah, that's uh I think I agree with you coach. This this is uh there's a big problem right now and you feel like USC is sort of in limbo. And you know what Jack was saying, you're not going to get this right until you have someone come in and just clean house and start with new leadership. So I I it's tough because there's still games going on. And this you wait months and months and months for these games coach. You USC Notre Dame, it's just it's a big deal. But it's becoming not much of a big deal just because USC is such a mess right now, and nothing. There's no band aids you can put on this from Dante Williams to to make it a lot better. It's got to come. You got to bring in somebody new that cleans house and and fixes a lot of these problems. It might take a little while, um, but yeah, it's 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 just a tough situation right now for the players, coaches, fans, everybody. No, and and it's fixable. It's fixable, and be fixed fit quicker than what you think. You get the right person coaching at USC. And immediately, all of a sudden, the other coaches in the Pac-12 say, uh-oh, we better get a bigger budget. Okay, uh-oh, we better get after it. They run into their athletic director and say, right now, we've got to have this, we've got to have that, we've got to have what USC has, or we're not going to be able to play with the Trojans. What made the Pac-12 good when Pete Carroll was there was because everybody said, hey, you want to just give him the, uh, the Pac-12 championship before we get started? I think he won seven of them. You might as well give it to him before, and then the rest of us play for second. And that's exactly what you need. You need to make that type of statement where they're able to make a statement to college football throughout the nation that the Trojans are coming back, so you better look out. I remember those days when I coached, when I was on the community college level, high school level, when the word was when an SC coach was on campus, SC is here today. SC is here today. I mean, that's what it's all about when SC is here today. All year round with the Trojan clubs and the things that you have out there, the the alumni you have out there, that's what makes USC. You've got homecoming this week. You've got homecoming in in the renovated Coliseum where you spent $200 million for an event, where you have six events a year currently right now. Maybe you have graduation in there too. I'm not sure. But... Hey man, you've got a product. You got to put a product on the field for this. You don't want twenty thousand people at your homecoming event, and then you're supposed to bring your recruits in this weekend and have your recruits sit there and watch you play Arizona with twenty thousand people in the in the in the Coliseum when Notre Dame had eighty thousand or whatever it was in the in their stadium with all those recruits on the sideline. Hey, who are you kidding? If you're going to play big time, you got to get these people back in the Coliseum, and you got to get the right guy to do that. Yeah. Um, all right. The 
kind of along those lines when you're talking about fixing things and getting things done quickly, like you mentioned a little bit earlier, Gary, USC class of 1975 wrote in, he says, whether Mike Bone gets uh, Luke Fickle, Chris Peterson, Dave Aranda, uh, Bob Stoops, however long it takes, uh, how long will it take us to win a conference, win the conference or make the playoffs? I don't think it will be immediate because they have to install their offense and defense and maybe recruit their style of players. In your opinion, will it be closer to two years or more like four or five? And how long will the fans be patient? Thanks, uh, Gary, class of 1975. Well, you know, I can't tell you exactly how long it's going to be take, to take to do that, but it isn't going to be as long as what everybody expects it to be. I'll tell you what, when you get the right head football coach in there and all of a sudden the recruits start to come, and don't think he doesn't have to be a great recruiter. He does. And also the also – the, but the program helps him become a great recruiter. you got to remember that. If you want one of these other schools, let's think what you can do as far as getting recruiting done at USC. I mean, let me tell you, you can ski one day and surf the same day, okay? And then go out to Palm Springs for dinner. Where else in the world can you do that? I mean, this is a great, and a great academic university at the same time with all the networking and everything else you have. You've got the beaches. I'm not saying you've got Hollywood. You got Hollywood. You don't have time to Hollywood it up. Yeah, but you know, you've got to pay attention to what's going on. You've got a boosters, you've got to with all this new name rights and stuff going on. What else can you be better than than Southern California at USC? The right guy here and as the I call it the right CEO and it's all over with now. Can the president understand exactly how important this is and can she become the second person in charge as far as publicity at the university. And that's what's important. I don't know, and I've said this before on this show, can you name me the president's name at Alabama? Can you name me the president's name at Oregon? Can you name me the president's name at Ohio State? If you have, congratulations. I can't. But I can name you the coaches at all those places. And that's what people in the public and that's what brings the revenue in does, the recognition of a program, its leadership. But the president rolls along because they win, too, because everybody opens up their checkbook and everybody says they're supporting the program. And everybody at the university, the professors, the deans and everything are smiling because the alumni are smiling. The students are smiling. They're coming back from the game happy from Notre Dame. They're not, you know, oh, I'm tired. I wish I hadn't gone and all of this type of stuff. You know, they can't wait till the next trip to Notre Dame. So these are the things you have to look at, the big picture of who's in charge and what does USC really want. Yeah, what does USC want? Um, they want someone to win, hopefully, and that's where uh, the USC fans are hoping for. Uh, we got uh, quest- another voicemail for you, Coach, and a couple more emails, and we'll let you go. Here's the next voicemail. This is for Coach. Uh, Coach, I'm going to ask you, and I know you don't like to, to uh, say any negative things about other coaches. Uh, and this isn't really about Dante, but truthfully, as a head coach yourself, would you allow this defensive coordinator to continue working for you because his defense, our defense, can't get anybody off the field when they have to. 
I mean, by, you know, the seventh game of the season, you think we'd be able to stop a defense when we really, I mean, stop an offense when we really have to, when it comes down to the nuts and bolts of the game. And we couldn't. I was there. I flew from Florida to South Bend to see the game. And there was a little hope there, but then it was dashed when the defense couldn't get him off the field. Well, anyway, that's all I have to say. And uh, thank you to both of you guys for having this job. I love listening to your podcast here. And uh, please uh, just uh, tell me what you think if he was your defensive coordinator, right? And uh, thank you very much. Fight on. This is Ray from Ryan, uh, uh, the question was, I believe, I couldn't hear it all, I believe it was the defensive side of the football as far as something about a coordinator. Could you help me with that? Yeah, just, I mean, just in general, like Todd Orlando, uh, is there a reason to keep him on um, right now? And I'll give you a quick thought. I mean, I, once you fire Clay Helton, I don't think there's reasons you're going to fire position coaches. Like Colorado just fired their offensive line coach, right? I mean, you're trying to fix the problem. You, the big problem was you fired Clay Helton. And I don't think changing coordinators or anything at this point uh, makes a whole lot of sense. If you had another defensive coordinator on staff or something, but to change your philosophy, like you're basically got to play the season out and then you'll get a new one at the end of the season. But what I, he wants to know about what would you, what you do in that situation. Well, no, right now, you, you said it, Ryan. I mean, you've got enough firing. You've got enough unrest. You don't need another coach or around uh not bad mouthing you but uh but the loyalty means a lot if he's ever going to get another coaching job but you know you just gotta get through this miserable season where they made a mistake usc is they fired clay out in the second game of the year if they were going to fire somebody they should have done it a year ago if they had this philosophy in their mind where they could have had a new football coach in here and it'd been a rebuilding year or whatever the new staff and they'd be rolling that's what that's why the whole the whole timing and the whole way they did this thing is is just amazing as far as the administration is concerned. All of a sudden, they beat San Jose, who at the time, Coach Helton said, would be one of the top 20 teams in the country or 25 teams in the country and so on. And they're currently, I don't know, 4-4 four and four or whatever. But, you know, and then he gets they get beat by Stanford. And all of a sudden, the second game of the year, because of the uproar, not that they haven't had a lot of uproar, then all of a sudden they fire Clay Helton. And they still got ten games left. Ten games. I mean, I mean, you know, and the season's all set up for him to win a few games. But if they were really to fire him after the second game of the year, and pipe Bay and pay him off and do all, why couldn't that have been done last year? This is the thing that I don't understand. Who's in charge of this? I mean, who is making decisions on what's what's going on now? Dante comes in, and they're looking, and they're probably thinking, oh, well, our schedule's set up where uh, we can win still eight games, and everybody will be happy, and maybe go to a bowl game, and all this and that, and so on. Well, what, what, what? The people aren't happy now. I mean, why would you do that? The players now are going through changes again. You put a coach in a position that now uh, he is not ready for. I mean, he's been thrown in there as a head football coach, obviously, He's flattered, but is he ready to take this this joint? It's hard enough to be a head football coach, but to be an interim head football coach when you take over a staff 
that you've worked with, that your peers, and you try to change their offense, their defense, and their philosophy. This doesn't happen. What have they changed? What have they changed in the program by eliminating Clay Held in the second game of the year? Really think about this. What have they changed? It's the same thing. They might even want another game or two. So my whole thinking is, what are they going to do this time, what they should have done before? And they should have done this a long time ago if they were going to make a change. So think about that, folks. They have the money now, but they didn't have the money then. Oh, okay. Well, what's the reason? What's, what's this all about? Do you want a football program? Do you not want a football program? Or exactly are you just trying to blow smoke for everybody? So, no, it, you can't make those changes. You've already made one change to answer your question. I think the main thing now is to try to just save the lives of everybody and everybody try to just, you know, uh, put the guns away and, and don't cut your throat or do anything. Just get through this thing and feel sorry for the kids and the people that have to work day to day at this. But the kids want to win. The kids want to play hard. The kids want to be put in a position where they can be successful. They want to experience success. That's why they came to USC. Not only to get an ex- a degree, but to play and to win and be prideful of their university. So, you know, this is what you have to do. And you got to look at the whole picture and you say, who's to blame for it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Path leadership for sure. It put USC in this spot. Uh, I've got a couple more for you real quick. Bill in Connecticut says USC has a lot of individual assets, maybe not so much in the trenches, but there's no synergy. If, if anything, uh, he says, the parts cancel each other out. For example, the air raid fantasy overrides a decent ground game. Do you think there's a potential catalyst for change? I don't think all these humiliating losses is enough. I mean, I guess the big change bill is you're changing the head coach. So, I mean, that's, but again, it's, it's hard to change what's going on right now. Just like coach talked about. It's just, you can't Dante Williams is not really in a position to change a lot right now. It's, it's gotta be the next head coach. No, you're exactly right. You know, you just got to play it out now. You got to cheer for the kids. Don't boo the kids. There's nothing the kids can do. They're doing exactly what they're told to do by their coaches. And I think you got to act like a class person as a fan, as a person. And you got to really realize the situation that the USC football program is in. And you got to look to see exactly who the new author of the book is or the producer of the next movie. I've got one last one from Ray, kind of a, a little bit of a rant, but he says, I'm thinking no one is teaching out there uh, on the field Monday through Friday. I don't feel sorry for the players. They should have demanded better. This is a disaster. I read some articles. It'll be at least three years before this program rebounds, no matter who is the head coach. He said, well, Franklin's out. He lost today. Um, and he says, well, thank goodness the game's over. I still say let's forfeit the rest of the games so no one gets hurt. Coach Harvey Hyde, how many times can you say the same thing? This whole process is unbearable. The school leadership could care less. They're going to get alumni money no matter what. I've said enough. No coaching slash teaching and apparently no leadership amongst the players. Why should we care? That's a very frustrated Ray there, Coach. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, here's what you got to do. You're hurting, okay? With the, the talk like you're talking, you're hurting. You're flustered. You're upset. All of the things that go along with that type of language. And you have a right to be. You have the pride of being a Trojan and the pride of what you expect to be and have on the football field and the way it should be and the way it's always been. So right now you're saying those things, but we hope that in the future, you know, that things will will change uh, as any football program that, that has to make changes. And 
Uh, right now, I think the number one thing is it's been, uh, you know, it's like anything else. If, if you wait too long, if you wait too long to take care of the problem, it's harder to solve the problem. And I think that's what has happened there at USC. There's been a lot of problems in the past that they put off. They haven't taken care of them. So now it's got to this point. So as I said, they the longer they put it off, the harder it's going to be. So they've got to make a decision, stand by their decision. Don't worry about exactly what it's going to take, but make it make it happen so that people can, again, can look forward to football, that the kids, again, can look forward to spring practice. So the kids that are out there that are waiting to sign national letter of intent can, again, reevaluate. So it's all that portion that's what's at stake right now. So you've got to decide as an administration uh, exactly what you need and what you want and what's going to satisfy the philosophy of what you're trying to set at USC. And right now, unless you do something really positive, really fast, you've got a lot of unhappy people that may not ever come back. Yeah. All right, Coach. Well, USC is going to try to get right against a team that's on a 19-game losing streak that was actually beaten Washington most of the game. Uh, and then end up losing at the end. Uh, Arizona Wildcats, Jed Fish. This could, oof. if USC loses this one, Coach, it's going to be pretty bad. But it's homecoming. We'll be out there in the Coliseum uh, checking this all out. Good, I think it's 5 p.m. kickoff, which is good good time for uh, tailgating. We'll see how many people show up, like you said. But, Coach, great stuff. Uh, glad we could pick your brain on everything that's going on with the program. And uh, maybe we'll be able to talk about a win next week. Who Who knows? Well, I hope so, buddy. I hope they do have that opportunity to win. It always helps to, to win. Winning solves everything. They need to win bad. And, and uh, gosh, don't even talk about it. They've got to beat this game. But, again, I'll tell you what, Arizona's not going to come in and lay down. No. No, 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 no. Because I'll tell you what, they've, they've, right now the Coliseum isn't the Coliseum anymore where people didn't want to come to the Coliseum. They try to get out of the game, okay? Now people like to come to the Coliseum because they have a real chance to win a football game. All right. Well, that's the Coach Harvey Hyde. Follow him on Twitter at Coach Harvey Hyde. Appreciate you coming on, Coach. And thanks, everyone out there, for listening to the Peristyle Podcast. We should have Keely Yor on later on in the week. We'll have a Tunnel Vision show Thursday night, uh, live YouTube, Facebook, and uh, Twitter. But also we'll be up on our podcast feed. And, uh, of course, the game this weekend. And we'll have a uh, another podcast with Keely Yor, Shotgun Spratling, and Chris Trevino doing their Family Feud podcast. So a bunch of more shows you can listen to this week leading up to the homecoming game against Arizona. For the Coach Harvey Hyde, I'm Ryan Abraham. Thanks for tuning in, and we will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.